the readings from Luke 23, verse 26 to 49. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness his sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood a, stood a long distance watching these things. Okay, we're looking at this series over these next weeks. Uh, next week's a big question. The week after, uh, we're carrying on in the series, but John Orchard is speaking a week on Sunday, week next Sunday. John was here uh, a few weeks ago, but he's carrying on in one of the, uh, one of the statements that Jesus makes. Certainly, uh, particularly the book of Matthew, in fact, I want to encourage you, as we're working through this series, it would be really helpful uh, for you to go back home and just read through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Um, from beginning to end, it won't take you more than uh, an hour or so to get through the whole book, maybe read it over two evenings. Um, work through it over these next few weeks as we're looking at this particular uh, series. One of the things that Jesus continually seeks to establish is the message that he has come into this world to establish the kingdom of heaven. And he uses a phrase very often in his ministry as he tells parables. Parables are very simple stories that Jesus told. Stories which had 
uh, if you like, two levels of meaning. They were a story which had a level of meaning in and of itself, and yet Jesus was telling these stories to communicate something far greater, something far more significant, uh, something of his message into the world. Uh, And one of the phrases that he used as he talked uh, and he explained many of these parables, as he opened up the story, he said uh, this, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he told the story, which is why we've got the title for our series, Tales of the Kingdom, or if you like, Stories of the Kingdom. And here's the one that we're going to be looking at this afternoon. It's Matthew chapter 13. We'll bounce backwards and forwards between graphic and, uh, and text. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31 uh, through to 33. It's actually two very quick stories that Jesus tells, and the one that we're going to focus on this afternoon. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes like a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into it a large amount of flour until it worked through, or worked all through, the dough. Two very quick stories. Now, hopefully what you've seen there is that Jesus is creating for us uh, a connection, isn't he? He's saying uh, a very simple story, but he's prefixing it with this expression, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, one of the messages that Matthew wants to get across is that Jesus is coming to, to establish that kingdom. And the kingdom is described in many different ways. The kingdom is described as as nearly here. The kingdom is described as here. The kingdom is described as now. The kingdom is described as to come. The kingdom is described as within you. The kingdom is described as outside of you. And hopefully we're going to be seeing that that the kingdom is described in these many, many different ways. And so when Jesus uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's something we've got to hear. Because he's saying this is something which is of incredible importance, not just for now, but for the future. It's something which is relevant for today. As I'm telling you, in the days of Jesus, he tells those who listen to him this story about a mustard seed It's equally relevant to us today as we hear about the kingdom of heaven. If the kingdom of heaven is something for the future. So we're going to look at that. This past week, I think, has given us a very interesting comparison. And it maybe opens the door a little bit for this uh, discussion of the kingdom. He died at 64 on the 6th of April, 2010, this past week. Those of you who that rings a bell with will know that his name was Malcolm McLaren. He was the, some called him the, uh, the father of punk, uh, but actually the aficionados probably say that he was more the, the embarrassing great uncle. He kind of got onto the bandwagon partway through, And uh, Malcolm McLaren uh, infamously 
uh, was the manager of the Sex Pistols. He went on to be manager, or before that, he was manager of the New York Dolls. And uh, he was also the manager of Bow Wow Wow. Do you remember Bow Wow Wow? Uh, crazy hairstyles. And in fact, I think, I'm pretty sure, that he pinched half of Adam and the Ants uh, to, produce, to create the band Bow Wow Wow. Uh, so Malcolm McLaren has, has been involved in that whole punk scene. He, he, was, um, he was a disaffectioned um, art college student. In fact, he, he attended a whole number of art colleges and eventually, at the, he never got through any course, but he wrote a manifesto in, I think it was about 1960, which became, if you like, a rallying cry for the punk movement and continues to be, to some extent, the rallying cry for the ongoing punk movement, you know, the Green Day Boys and all of the rest of it. He wrote this, be childish, be irresponsible, be disrespectful, be everything this society hates. It became, if you like, the rallying cry for anarchy. Those of you who are old enough to remember, uh, you remember anarchy in the UK and um, the whole kind of explosion of the punk movement. For those of you who look back on it with uh, affection or disaffection, uh, 1977 was the year, the uh, Queen's Silver Jubilee, anarchy in the UK, God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Uh, for those of you who aren't old enough to remember it, you look, back at, you look at it through rose-tinted glasses. You look at it maybe thinking it was super cool and hip and chic and all the rest of it. The reality is that most of them died uh, an ugly death uh, at the end of a heroin needle. That's the reality of the punk movement. Uh, but here we have somebody who, in a sense, and a movement, if you like, he was the pinnacle, the identity of a movement, most seen in uh, Sid Vicious, uh, the guy who died of an overdose, having allegedly uh, killed his girlfriend. Uh, people who wanted to change the world. Anarchy was going to change the world. It was going to sweep in a whole new order. It was going to bring in... Uh, a breakdown of this society and a, the creation of a new anarchic society. Something that would sweep away all of the past and create something new. In a sense, Malcolm McLaren never gave up on that dream. In a sense, he continued to be anarchic right the way through to, to his death last week. He continued to subvert. He continued to be at the forefront of any kind of movement, particularly in the media world, that was in his eyes, hopefully, going to change the establishment. In a real sense, uh, there is a contrast and yet a comparison <laughs> between the two. Uh, Malcolm McLaren wanted to change the world like so many other people before him. And so many people since him. But Jesus has changed the world. There's no doubt about that. Let's have a look at this particular um, parable and see what does it tell us? How can we see the, the, the particular issues that, that make the comparison and help us to see that it is relevant for us today? Well, the kingdom of heaven 
is, is a phrase which is well established in the Bible, but has also become something that has become, um, for want of a, a better phrase, and yet it's incredibly uh, relevant phrase, it's become a crusade, <laughs> quite literally, back in the Middle Ages. Uh, there was the crusades for the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in 2005, Ridley Scott brought out a film called Kingdom of Heaven, uh, in which um, one, of the, one of the great sort of uh, crusader leaders of the day, uh, in his dying sort of final breaths, took his sword, laid it on the, uh, on the shoulders of his young protege, and he passed on that sacred oath, it, he says, to protect the helpless, safeguard the peace, and work towards harmony between religions and cultures so that a kingdom of heaven can flourish on earth. That's what he was looking to do. And the Crusades were about that. It was seeking to, to, to misunderstand, actually, what Jesus was looking to define in terms of a kingdom of heaven and try to create a kingdom in this world. Something which becomes a great political force, something that kicks out all of the bad, something that establishes what is seen as the good, something that tries to bring heaven to earth, at least in the eyes of those who were fighting for it. But what does the kingdom of heaven really mean? Let's have a look at how Jesus describes it and let's have a look at some contrasts. Look at the way he describes it in our text. First thing he says is this. Such a simple story, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a mustard seed. This man takes this mustard seed and plants it in a field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. Now what Jesus is saying there is, it's not as though Jesus has done a kind of biological investigator investigation, analyzed every seed in the whole world uh, and decided that the mustard seed is the smallest because it isn't. What he's saying is just consider it. It's the smallest of the seeds that we generally use. It's the smallest of the seeds that we know. Now, do you, do you remember growing mustard and cress as a kid? Uh, in a saucer, you get some kitchen paper uh, and soak it with water and then you sprinkle the mustard and the cress onto the onto the saucer and it kind of grows up. Do you remember doing that? And it all kind of grows very quickly and, and then you cut it off and, and that's it. Mustard seed is a tiny, tiny little seed. But look at the way Jesus describes what happens here. It's like a man who takes one of those seeds. You know, we sprinkle them like pepper almost. He takes one of those seeds and plants it in the middle of a field. Isn't that remarkable? You stop and think what's going, what Jesus is suggesting here. For a start, what he's suggesting is something which in human terms is incredible, unrealistic almost. If you wanted to grow a mustard tree, at least what you do is, would do is take a handful of seeds and sprinkle them in the ground and get them to grow to a seedling and then transplant the seedling into the field and cause it to grow and grow. 
He's saying from this tiny little seed, uh, we know that a, a, a plant will grow which grows so big that it becomes like a tree. It's, it's so big that the birds can nestle in its branches. Uh, but what Jesus is saying is he takes one of those tiny seeds and he goes out into the field and exactly where he wants this mustard seed to grow, plants it in there, and it grows. Now, anybody would know, any farmer would know, anybody listening to Jesus in this day, at this point in time, would know that what he is suggesting in human terms is unrealistic. Anybody who goes out into the fields over these past months, straight after planting or drilling as it is now, you've got these uh, tractors that uh, pull along a drilling machine, plants the seed, drilling holes and planting many seeds into the ground. Uh, There is not a one-for-one yield. Uh, For all of the seeds that you plant, you lose some seeds. Some seeds die. Uh, Many seeds are taken by the birds as they spring up into a little green shoot. Immediately the birds come down and and take out one of those shoots and it's gone. That's the end of the crop. But this man knows that this seed, when he plants it in the ground, is going to produce a mustard tree or a mustard plant, a big mustard plant. There's nothing threatening this. The other thing that becomes very clear as Jesus says this is, And the way he tells the story, he's trying to impress on those who hear it the great contrast between the tiny, tiny seed and a great plant, almost tree-like, final result. Something which is, compared to the size of the seed, huge, significant. So much so, it's not like a, a normal plant It's so big that the birds can come and land on its branches uh, and and rest. It grows that big. And Jesus is saying the kingdom starts tiny, but it grows into something way beyond what you could ever expect. And he says that this man comes and he plants it and he knows that's going to happen. Now, we have the great advantage as we come here today and listen to this, that we can see the outcome of Jesus' words at this point in time. Well, that's a tremendous advantage that we have. In fact, it places on us a greater responsibility because we can see it. We can see the outcome. Uh, we can see that Jesus said to these, uh, to these farmers and uh, and agricultural type people surrounding him. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, and, and we can see now, what did he mean by that? He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to establish something. I'm going to plant a tiny, tiny little seed in the middle of a field. But it is going to grow. What's that seed going to look like? How tiny is tiny? I'll tell you how tiny, tiny is. In Jesus's picture here, Tiny is one peasant preacher with 12 followers and one of them betrays him. It's not a great start. 
And yet Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to establish something that I have the confidence now, as I plant this seed in the ground, I have the confidence now that it is going to grow into something great. It's going to grow into something colossal. What does that look like? And how has that happened? How has this kingdom been established? Well, from that one peasant preacher, Jesus, the son of the living God, who came into this world, established a group of ragtag followers, fishermen, tax collectors, people in human terms of low status and ill repute, wandered around a dusty backwater of the Roman Empire, didn't hit the main cities, just ended up in Jerusalem, dying on a cross. Everything seemed a failure. His, His followers scatter at that point. How tiny do we want to get? You know, there is nothing left. He's dead. And yet, Somehow, like a seed planted in the ground, in the ground, springs to life. <laughs> and those twelve, those eleven followers now, find a courage, find a courage to start to go and to explain to other people this message of the kingdom. When Jesus said to them, "Go," and you'll read it if you work through Matthew, he sends them out and say, he says, "Go and tell people, go and." Say to people, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Be ready. It's beginning. It's a starting. That seed is being planted. Jesus says, go and do it. And they fall apart when he dies. And yet they they find a courage. They find a a, a hope as they see him. As they, they they are reacquainted with somebody who has died. And then they go out again with great a great confidence, with such a confidence that they will go out and they will die for the sake of proclaiming the message of this kingdom. And then another man is called, his name is Paul, and he starts to establish what he sees as the continuation of this kingdom. But in human terms, it looks like it's all up. We find Paul in his last letter, the letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, he's in a Roman jail. He's um, facing execution. He says at that point, in chapter 1 and verse 15, he says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. He's saying, I went around and I established churches. Uh, the, the, The kingdom has spread way beyond anything that you could expect. You know, from this one man who was an unknown, this kingdom has spread in Paul's mind throughout the Roman Empire. He's, he's now in Rome, the very the center of the world as far as he was concerned. And he's, he's established now the kingdom of heaven in Rome. What's the kingdom of heaven? Believers in Jesus. But now he says, I look into into Asia where I've established churches uh, and people are deserting. And uh, and he says towards the end of his letter, come and and bring me my cloak and my books because you'll be helpful to me and uh, and various other things. And what he's basically saying is, look, Jesus, I I think he's saying, Jesus must be about to return. 
because the kingdom has been established everywhere that we think it could be. In Paul's mind, the little seed has grown into the plant. It's become way bigger than anything that he could have imagined. And we sit here today and we say, Paul, not even close. (laughs) Not even close. Did you know that there would be a population of 60 million people in Britannia? Did you know that of that, many, many people down through the centuries have become a part of that kingdom? Did you know, Paul, about China? Did you know that today in China, there are believed to be a hundred million believers in Jesus? A hundred million believers in Jesus. That is a fascinating and incredible statistic. Especially when you understand that there are 74 million members of the Communist Party. (laughs) There was a man called Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor in the late 19th, in the 19th century, went to take the message of the gospel into China. Uh, He left saying he believed that there were maybe 250 to 300,000, or at the end of his life, 250 to 300,000 believers in China soon established after that. Uh, And then, uh, the Boxer Revolution, and then the Bamboo Curtain, and then the opposition of communism, Uh, and the door begins to open, little by little. Uh, And now, what a reversal. A hundred million People believing in Jesus. 150 million people, it's believed, in the Americas believing in Jesus. Paul, I know that you thought that the plant had grown to the size where the birds are landing in its, on its branches. <laughs> it was a sapling then. It was a tiny plant really then. And you know, one of the things that... that This particular parable says to me is this. Jesus came and he, that one who goes and plants this seed in the middle of a field, knows that it's going to grow into something great. There is no doubt in his mind. Against all human odds, against all opposition, from an inauspicious start. Look at where the message of Jesus now is the biggest religion in the world, and growing. In fact, all the major religions in the world currently are growing. The Christian faith is growing in numbers of people believing in the message of the Bible. I think that's remarkable, isn't it? That here we have, 2,000 years later, the kingdom of heaven being established. Why is it that then? Why Why is it people believing Because as you see, as you work through Matthew, you see that the kingdom of heaven is all of these multifaceted things. It's something that's visible. It's something that's now. It's something inside. 
It's something that is established inside. And you know the kingdom of heaven is just like... We go on now and we see another little story that Jesus tells. He goes on to say that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. It's not quite right, that translation. It's, it's, the word that's used there is actually leaven rather than yeast. And because we don't understand what leaven is... Um, we use yeast because it makes a little bit more sense to a 21st century reader or 20th century reader. Leaven is actually a little bit of last week's dough. (laughs) Uh, You take a little bit of last week's dough and mix it into the, the dough of this week. And the last week's dough infiltrates, impregnates all of that dough. What's that saying? It's saying that the the dough by itself, without last week's, is, is useless. It can't do anything. And yet when something is taken from last week, when something is kneaded into it, when it begins to have the effect of last week, a little bit broken off and saved and preserved, it works through. And in that parable, Jesus connects the kingdom of heaven to everything that God has done before in all of his people. He he says, look, the kingdom of heaven is started, yes, it's almost a new thing, but in another way it isn't a new thing. It's a continuation, it's a fulfillment. It's a little bit of what has been promised all along. I am the piece of leaven that has been broken off from last week's dough. I am that which is beginning to have an impact on the dough for the future. You know, the old dough is gone, the old dough is dead, the old bread is eaten, but this little bit, it is here now and it's beginning to infiltrate the dough. It's a continuation of the past, yet it's something new. It's something to move forward with. So what's the kingdom of heaven then? It starts small. It starts tiny. It seems, in human terms, insignificant, irrelevant. It can be pushed to the margins. It can be disregarded. And yet somehow it continues to grow and grow. It's like a little tiny seed which develops irresistibly. Yes, it builds on the historic past. And yet Jesus... The broken off piece of dough which enlivens the dough for the future is at the center of it. It starts small, it grows. It's from the past, yet moves forward. But it's also inside. Jesus used the picture of the mustard seed on one other occasion. He says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Mountains in the Bible were always used to describe power and strength and and kind of presence and authority. What we read of the mountains in in, uh, Revelation, we read about mountains in the Old Testament again and again, pictures of presence and strength. And uh, one of the things that Jesus is saying here is, look, a, a tiny little bit of faith can break down those things that seem too big for you. 
can break down those big mountains which seem impossible to get over. He's saying this, look, faith in me can do the impossible. In the context of what he said there, he's actually saying, you know, the things that affect us the most, the things that are our greatest mountain fears, faith can overcome. Because in a sense, the kingdom of heaven starts tiny inside of here. And yet it grows. It grows inside. One of the great privileges that I've had of being involved in the, in the life of so many people who've come to faith in Jesus is this. I've seen things starting just so tiny. Just tiny, tiny little expressions of faith. And yet as time goes on and as life's experiences come and batter people and they deal with issues and they go through things, what I see is that faith just grows and grows. Real faith starts tiny, but it grows and develops. It's like a mustard seed that grows inside and becomes something way bigger than it ever started. In fact, faith is like that. Faith has to be like that. Faith has to be growing. It has to be developing. Not everybody grows at the same rate. You know, some people start as a mustard seed. And two years down the line, they're like this mustard tree with birds nestling in its branches. You know, they seem to grow so quickly, so incredibly. Now, most of those people actually don't feel as if they've grown or developed at all. They feel as if they're just still tiny little seeds, and yet everybody around can see how much they've developed. There are other people who, after five years, they've moved from a seed to a little sapling. <laughs> they just, they just, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the rate of growth. It matters that we start with a seed, a mustard seed, and we start to progress at some rate. Let, let me s explain why we looked at the reading that we did. If we look at um, Luke chapter 23, reading that Mike read a little bit earlier, we see an occasion where Jesus is, is hanging on the cross and we know that Jesus is there nailed uh, alongside two criminals. Jesus is at this point in time having accusations just hurled at him from all sides. Uh, and one of the criminals alongside Jesus just, just attacks him really verbally. You know, if you're the Christ, if you really are who you claim to be, get down off the cross and, you know, don't just save yourself. Save us as well. But the other one, the other one responds by saying, now no, look, we've got what we deserve. He's not getting what he deserves. I see who he is. I, I see that he is who he claims to be. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How fascinating phrase that he uses. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. I want to ask you at this point in time, it's so important, how much, how much faith is needed to secure hope? That much faith. 
That's how much faith. This man who's dying next to Jesus, he doesn't realize it. He's probably expecting to hang on that cross for maybe two days. Some maybe even up to three days. He doesn't know that in the next hours, his legs are going to be broken so that he suffocates and dies quickly. He doesn't know he's going to be dead within the next hours, but he knows that it's imminent. There isn't any time for this man's faith to grow, is there? This, this seed has been planted, this seed the size of a mustard seed, a seed of faith has been planted in this man's heart. Tiny. It's not got much time to grow. In fact, the growth is seen in one sentence. The, the growth is seen in a statement, remember me. What's, what's this man saying as he says that? He's saying, Jesus, I know that you and me, as we hang on this cross, on these crosses, we're going to die in the next couple of days, in the next day or so. We're dead. But I know, I believe that you've got a future. And your future is a kingdom. Because I believe, I see it now. I just think this is the most, one of the most remarkable stories in the Bible. Here's a man about to die and yet in those final breaths, he sees that Jesus has a future kingdom. Everybody else, including Jesus' disciples, at this point, apart from the women who are watching from a distance, everybody else seems to have abandoned him. And yet this man sees You've got a future. You've come to establish a kingdom, and I believe you will establish a kingdom. Please remember me in it. What did this man get? What did he understand in those dying hours? He understood this, this essential element of the kingdom. The kingdom is not about now alone. Oh yes, it is about a growing church. It is about the fact that the gospel now reaches parts of this world that Paul didn't even know existed. The, the fact is that more people are believing in Jesus today than Paul could ever have dreamed about. Yes, it is that. But this man understood that the kingdom is about eternity. It's about the future. It's about after death. I'm going to die. Remember me? Remember me? You're going to live, he's saying. You're going to live. Remember me when you live. He got that. He understood that. The kingdom of heaven is about life forever. And Jesus came to establish that. Malcolm McLaren, at the end of his life, on his deathbed, do you know what his final words were? His final words were free Leonard Peltier. <laughs> Leonard Peltier is um, an American activist. He's currently serving two life sentences for the murder or the apparent murder. He's been accused, found guilty of the murder of two FBI agents uh, in a shootout. 
Uh, there's arguments that he's a political prisoner, he's part of the American Indian movement, all of that kind of thing. He's trying to be freed. His final words are free Leonard Peltier. That's his hope. Do something in this world. What were Jesus' final words? The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud breath, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in that moment, Jesus released more prisoners than ever we would imagine. Malcolm McLaren made a plea for something that is never going to happen. But when Jesus went into that presence with his Father, when he secured eternal life, he released more prisoners than we could ever dream of. Yeah, a mustard tree's worth in world terms. Something beyond our imagination compared to how small it started. But the issue is it's personal, isn't it? It's about whether that mustard seed, whether that leaven is growing inside of us personally. Faith needs to grow. It has to grow. It must grow. And by grace it can grow. And we see it again and again. It's not by our doing, is it? That's what these stories tell us. It's not by our doing. It's by the one who plants the seed and, and then makes sure it grows. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a bit of leaven or yeast, and secured by Jesus.